0: Good morning, Communitas. Thanks for the good morning. Uh, my name is Nick Hoffman. I get to do some announcements this morning with you guys. And thank you for joining online as well. And uh, just a couple quick reminders that we kind of go over every week, but want to always keep you on the loop, especially if you're just joining us for the first time online. Um, at Every Sunday we do uh, communion. And um, so if you're able, typically that's crackers and juice that we have here, um, but if you're able to grab those at your home or get something creative, I um, encourage you to do that, uh, as we'll be partaking in that a little later. Uh, another form of worship every morning is through giving, and of course we won't be passing plates, but we do have an opportunity to give, on um, there are baskets on these speakers, and so at any time during the morning, or during communion, or after the service, um, that's where you can give. You can also give online at communitaschurch.com or... Um, you can always mail in checks to 824 Laurel Street, Brainerd, Minnesota. And lastly, um, we're always continuing looking for volunteers, um, There's especially with some technical stuff, running some slides, um, sound, some computer stuff, um, but a lot of other different areas too. So I just encourage you guys, if that is a, at all interest, we would love to hear from you and uh, we can Go at your own pace and teach you we won't just throw you to the wolves um we would love to just uh, come alongside you and, and show you how to do that and uh give some people some breaks too that do it um, faithfully week in and week out they never complain uh, but we'd love to have them um, get some rest too in that so with that i think that is pretty much all i am i just came across so on social media which can always be just fun to be a part of not <laughs> But, but every once in a while, you come across something pretty awesome, and and uh, I follow Tim Keller, who is a pastor out in New York and um, on social media, and and uh, he just had this shared on his page today. So I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to pray for a morning. It says, Jesus, who unites such apparent extremes of character into such integrated and balanced whole, demands an extreme response from every one of us. He forces our hand at every turn in the story. This man who throws open the gates of his kingdom to everyone, then warns the most devout insiders that their standing in the kingdom is in jeopardy without fruitfulness, is forever closing down our options. This man who can be weakened by a touch in a crowd on his way to bring a little girl back from the dead is a man you dare not tear your eyes from. He is both the rest and the storm, both the victim and the wielder of the flaming sword. And you must accept him or reject him on the basis of both. Either you'll have to kill him or you'll have to crown him. The one thing you can't do is just say, what an interesting guy. Please don't try to keep Jesus on the periphery of your life. He cannot remain there. Give yourself to him. Center your entire life on him and let his power reproduce his character in you so Jesus as there are many things to wrestle with in our world today um, help us put all that extra junk aside and help us just focus on you and wrestle with that help us just fall in love with you help us um, just see your greatness and that you are an amazing Father that pursues us and loves us no matter where we're at this morning. Um, So as we move through this service, just as we sing these words and hear from your word, help our hearts be changed, whether we're in this room or online. Um, uh, Just help us be a different people group as we walk out of these doors or out of our living room uh, this morning. and Help us be an incredible light uh, for this world to see. In your beautiful name, amen.
1: Thanks, Nick. <laughs> um, uh, you are welcome to stand if you are able. Let's open our time together today with some words from Psalm 95. So, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Come, let us sing joyfully to the Lord, and let us acclaim the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, and let us joyfully sing psalms to him. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Come, let us bow down and worship, and let us kneel before the Lord who made us. For he is our God, we are his people, the people he shepherds, and we are the flock that he guides. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Oh, that today you would hear his voice. Harden not your hearts as, as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the desert, where your fathers tempted me. They tested me though they had seen my works. So Lord, today would you help us and allow us to hear your voice still and small in your name?
2: Good morning. If you are in the building, feel free to have a seat. If you are on, uh, if you're at home watching online or trying to watch online, we understand there's an issue with the video feed. Uh, so not only can I not see you, but you can't see me. So if you want to do a headstand, feel free. If you want to sit on your couch, that's great. Um, but uh, yeah, do do what makes sense for you there with your family. My name is Mike Gary. I'm the pastor here at Communitas Church. And Communitas is a church that exists to love God and to love people and to build disciples that walk in grace, who grow in their faith, right? We don't just stay where we're at, but we're gonna grow in our faith. We're gonna grow into who the Lord has made us to be, not saying in, in what we understand and what culturally we would say is is an acceptable place for us to be, but live our lives in light of and grow into. What we see revealed in Scripture is who the Lord has made us to be. And we do that by gathering in groups, and, and then in those groups we explore the way that the Lord has gifted us and then generously use those gifts to serve in and around the Brainerd Lakes area to make more disciples who love God and love people and enter into this rhythm of gathering together, growing together, that we would go together to make more disciples that love God and love people by gathering together, growing together. And going together. And so we've done this already in a, in a couple ways, right? I mean, what are we doing right now both here physically at 824 Laurel Street and online? What are we doing? We're gathering together. That we would also, hopefully, in expressing our worship and expressing this time together, that we would grow together. And then throughout this week that we will also go together. Every week uh, so we, we participate in these various rhythms of gathering we we sing songs about who Jesus is and and what he's done and we take time to um, and, and Nick has explained a little bit about giving and and in a little while we'll we'll have the reading of the word and we'll talk about and and present the gospel through the scriptures and before we do that we're going to take some time. Um, in communion. So we do communion every week. We celebrate what is called open communion, which means you don't need to be a member of Communitas Church. We just ask that you would be a repentant follower of Jesus, and if that is you, then you are welcome to come to the table. And so, why do we do? Why do we do this thing, right? And and there's this, you know, common throughout uh, most of human history. We didn't have the glut of information available to us in, in the form of, of written word or YouTube videos, uh, or you know just things that we could google, right Like that's a fairly recent phenomenon that we have a, an instrument in our in our pocket that can give us all of this information, and so what we needed to do is we needed to use signs and symbols to help communicate deeper meaning. And so when we participate in this meal, this simple meal that, as Nick said here is juice, and crackers. You know, some people have gotten into bacon and milk, but uh, you know, usually a liquid and a solid. But what does this mean? Why is this so significant? Why is it that this is something that we as, as, as Communitas have, have decided to do every single week? And why is it that this is the, one of the very few things that if you look across Christian denominations, there's going to be different ideas about what is worthy to be expressed and how often but everybody agrees on the fact that we do communion everybody agrees on the fact that we celebrate the table in some way or another why because it wakens us up and reminds us of of who we are and that we've that we who are believers have placed our trust not in our abilities not in the various structures which surround us but in the lord we've taken the time to say i repent Of my sin, and I'm choosing to follow the Lord. I'm not looking and listening to other gods, Lord. I'm looking and listening to you. And so, by celebrating in this meal on a weekly basis, we remember that as individuals, and then we remind one another and encourage one another that we're all doing this together. So, in the room right now, there's you know 35 some odd people, and we're we're going to celebrate this together. And online, there are you know, more folks that are are celebrating this in their living rooms. And so this is a reminder and encouragement to us that we're doing this not alone, but together, right? And so, because there's those times where you're looking, man, am I I crazy? Like, is is this really, like, am I, sometimes anybody else just have those moments where, like, am I the only one that's that's thinking or feeling this way? And so this, this is weekly proof that we're not alone. And it's a weekly reminder that when we say that we're all in, that means that that all of us here are participating along. And so we're we're here to encourage one another and also to hold one another accountable. Okay? And so we're gonna take some time and, and we're gonna reflect on a few things. We're gonna reflect on on who is God the Father and what has He done? Who is Jesus and 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 what, how is, and how did Jesus live his life, and, and how does that reflect how I should live mine? And then who is God the Holy Spirit, and what is God the Holy Spirit trying to do in and through me? We're going to pray that he's going to convict us of our sin. Hopefully he might confirm in us the things that we're doing that are good, that we could continue in that. And all that we would hopefully better convey the gospel message to the world around us. And you may notice that as we pray together during these times, the Lord brings specific names and faces or times and places where he's nudging you, he's urging you, he's inviting you, he's calling you, he's saying, Hey, tell people my story. And so pay attention to that. This is a time for us to learn to listen. We we spend a lot of time in, in the Western society talking or taking in information, but then also how do we learn to listen in relation to the Lord? And so this is a time where we as a people start to develop that skill and we learn to do this not just individually but collectively because not only is the Lord speaking to us as individuals, he's also speaking to us as a people, as a church, that we would go out and serve and convey this gospel message. And if you're listening and you're you're just kind of kicking around the tires of the faith, you're not sure about who this Jesus guy is, I would, I would encourage you to ask these same questions and to sit and to reflect with us as well of who is God the Father and what has he done? Who is God the Son? How did Jesus live his life? And how does that relate to how I should live my life? And who is God the Holy Spirit? And What is he trying to do in and through me? Because I'm I'm just venturing a guess that if you're listening to this, the Lord is trying to do something in and through you. So I'm going to pray. Kelly's going to play. And then as you're ready, come on forward and grab the elements uh, from the left and to the right and um, and bring those back to your seat. And then when everyone's had a chance to come up, I'll read some words from Scripture and then we'll all partake of the meal together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you have created all that is seen and unseen. Lord, you are all-knowing. And we, we don't know everything. We don't understand everything everything. And so may that be an encouragement to us. That we would see that as an, as an invitation to seek you and to learn from you. And Jesus, we see the way that you continue to seek the Father. That your life was dedicated for doing as he called. And you've shown us how to live. And so Holy Spirit, would you continue to speak to us. Confirm in us the things that we're doing which are good. Convict us of the things that we're doing which are bad. And, and help us to convey your truth to the world around us. Give us specific names and faces and times and places, people that you've put in our lives. Help us to be reminded. You've called us to repentance and to those who are following you that's that's a daily activity. Help us to be encouraged that we are not alone in this faith. Let we do this in communion with you in communion with our brothers and sisters around the world. We've been going through the Torah since January and and so we've we've read about the Lord taking some people and using people to show the way that that the world is to be that he's he's blessed them that they would bless the world around them and and, and he said I'm going to stick good on my promise and he's going to see these people through to the end and and despite the fact that they're going to go into slavery for 400 years he's going to save them out of that he's going to help them to understand who they are and to navigate their atonement and he's going to bring them through. To the end of this meal that Jesus and his disciples are celebrating that we've come to know as the Last Supper or as, or as communion is as a reflection of that. And so they're, they've been celebrating this meal for, for a few thousand years. And it's always just been the nation of Israel. And Jesus comes and he says, okay, now is the time that we're going to bring this gospel message. Now is the time we're going to bring the good news to all the world. And so as we participate in this meal, help us to remember that. So as they're eating, he takes the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take and eat, this is my body. And to share a meal with someone meant that you were going to, uh, in that culture, meant that you were going to have their back. You're going to defend them. You're going to protect them. And knowing that these disciples were all going to leave him, that his body would break, that his blood would pour out, that they would all betray him and leave him alone, literally left for dead. He takes the cup, gives thanks, and gives it to them and says, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for this covenant, for this forgiveness, for this life that you've called us into. Lord, help us to live life in light of your truth. Not what we think we know, but what you are continuing to teach us. Lord, help us to be a people that that show the way that you have blessed us, that show the world who you are, that show the world what it's like to be human, to have life to the full, and to know you. Amen. Okay, there are some uh, communion. There are some buckets in the back. On your way out, feel free to take the. Uh, now uh, the cups, if you're in the building, and, and just pass, um, put those in those buckets and we'll dispose of them for you. Real quick, fast moment of, of family business. What is happening for, what has happened last week for some, and what is going to happen on Tuesday for most of the rest of the state, especially if you are in the ages of 5 to 18? What, what will happen? School. School is going to start. And uh, and for, and for some of us, that's going to be um, for some of us. This means going back to work. For some of us, this means uh, sending kids either away, or, or and I guess some of us. It's even uh, I guess I shouldn't just say five to eighteen because we have uh, some folks in college as well and graduate school. Um, but this kind of this brings in uh, a new season. And so what I wanted to do. And and one of the things that's really important, and we see, and we'll talk a little more about this even, even today, but in Romans there's this guy named Paul. And Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church. And in chapter twelve, he tells people that they're gonna be transformed by the renewing of their mind. And so the brain is, is very important, the mind is is very important. And so it's important that we we learn, right? And so if you are a if you're a, a kid. In here and you're gonna be participating in school whether that means you are going to a building or doing it online or at home or whatever it looks like if you're willing would you stand up we want to pray for you and if you are we know we also have some people that that are teachers and or who work in in schools in various capacities some people who are administrative staff some people who are custodial staff and, and who who help make schools run so if you would if you would also stand up and if you're at home and and you're near a, a kid or or an adult who is in some way related to the school system, whether they're uh, a teacher or an administrative staff, custodial staff, grounds, whatever it is, and uh, active or retired, if you would just maybe extend a hand to them um, or somehow address them or, or just put your attention on them in such a way that they notice and pray with me them. Lord, we thank you uh, for the opportunity that we have uh, to learn. We thank you that you've created us with minds to think. Lord, this is a great opportunity for us to learn more about who you are. The poets write words that, that express your beauty Science exposes these unforeseen, these these things that we cannot perceive to the naked eye that that show the intricacies of how you work. Mathematics reveals your order and brings order out of chaos and and, and the arts seek to express beauty and wonder. Lord, would, would, would these people this year, whether they're their teachers, students, staff. May you work through and renew our minds. Help us to learn more about who you are and what you've done so that we would continue to be who you created us to be and do what you have created us to do all through knowing who you are. Amen. So we're, we're continuing our, our walk through the Torah, and so we are in the fourth book, which is the book of Numbers, and we are in Numbers 19 through 21. Um, and so if you have a paper Bible and you want to pull that out, feel free. Most of the pages will be to your right. Uh, a few of the pages will be to your left. Numbers is, as, as I said, the fourth book. So if you're flipping through and you get to Leviticus, keep going to your right. If you get to Deuteronomy, come back a little bit to the left, and we'll be in Numbers Uh, chapter 19 through 21 and we'll be looking specifically at chapter 20 uh, verses 2 through 13 and 21 4 through 9 that's uh, 22 through 13 and 21 4 through 9 and uh, Amanda is going to read that for us and we'll continue with our service so Amanda whenever you're ready
3: Good morning, everyone. So, starting with chapter Numbers, chapter twenty, verse two through thirteen. Now, there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, "Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord! Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here?" both we and our cattle. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them, and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord, as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice and water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that i have given them these are the waters of meribah where the people of israel quarreled with the lord and through them he showed himself holy moving on to chapter 21 verses 4 through 9 from mount hor they set out by the way to the red sea to go around the land of edom and the people spoke against god And against Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Here ends the reading.
2: Amen. Thank you, Amanda, and thank you, Lord, for your word that we're able to gather together and to read it and that we have the abundance of resources that we have uh, to do so and the abundance of opportunities to do so. May we not be so nutrient-rich that we would become stagnant. Help us to bring that into the open. where you breathe life into us. Help us to understand you more and to live in light of this truth. Amen. Okay, so rumor has it we uh, still have no video, so if you're at home and you just see this... Oh, hey, I guess we're back on. So, how you doing? There you go. Maybe send us a picture. Okay, great to see you. Nice, this is good. Okay, so... um, when I was about 16, I looked, and I still have this now, if you if you uh, looked at my fingernails when I was 16, they were covered in these little white specks, and I wasn't really sure what that was, and And I was in health class, and it turns out, and I learned that if you uh, put a lot of calcium into your body, that zinc has a difficult time doing what it's supposed to do, and it manifests itself in getting these little white flex on your fingernails. And so what happens is if you start your day as a 16-year-old by drinking anywhere from a quart to a half gallon of milk and proceed to finish the gallon and get into the next gallon throughout the rest of the day, the zinc in your body has a difficult time doing what it's supposed to be doing. Didn't know that. Amazing what you know, right? And so and at the time, I thought, Look, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm doing pretty good, right? I mean, from growing up in sports and there was different things, so we, we, like we, did, we kind of paid attention to what we ate and I thought I had it under control, you know, and, I, and then and then as I've grown, like I remember there's a certain thing. It seems like every decade there's something new that I learned. I'm like, oh, interesting. I wish I'd have known that before. And, and I think such is true of, of my my Christian life. Right. For most of I think the, the first two decades of, of my life, it was just kind of like, well, yeah, if I if I like show up. At a church service, and I listen to some things and I try to be a good person, I think that's okay, right? Well, who is at the center of that? Me, right? What I say, I think that if I show up and I do, where's the credit to the Lord? Where's the listening to the Lord, right? And so, for, I think for most of this is kind of, you know. We can get stuck, and we can we can tend to think that oh yeah, I remember back like this is the time that I remembered these things, or, Like I, and we kind of cap out, right? And we come to an understanding where we go oh I'm I'm good. So then what happens? Then we learn something new that goes oh wait I guess I guess I wasn't. And and, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this guy named named Paul. And, uh, and and I think because this is the nature of of sin, right? We have these this realization where where, where Paul was cruising along, and he's thinking, I got everything under control. And then he has this pretty radical conversation with the Lord, and he realizes that he doesn't. And, and I'd like to say that that's just a problem that Paul and I have, but I think that this is a humanity problem. And, and so if we look at numbers, looking at uh, and thinking back last week to when Lonnie taught us about you know the, the closing of chapter 18 and chapter 19, we look and we've got these purification laws, right? And so what happens? So we're, the, where we're at in the story, a little bit of background. So you got uh, this, this person named Korah, and they rebelled, and they brought a couple people with them, and then there's this big plague, and it was really bad. And so all of a sudden, there's these dead bodies lying around. Kind of a weird story, not something that you would have heard in Sunday school. Okay? Then, Lonnie well, talked to us about how in chapter 18, we went over the duties of the priests and the Levites. And so, whenever you see this covenant language, we're always reminded that the Lord is with us, and He's making a way to come back to Him. That we have we've brought about fracture, and He's bringing a way for us to come home. And then in Numbers nineteen, what does He do? He says, "I'm going to remind you laws of purification." And so He's going to talk to us. He says, "Hey, look, I, I know that there's this bad stuff that's happened as a result of, of of your sin, but I'm gonna I'm I'm providing the way back. It's not what." you've done. Don't trust in your abilities, but trust in what I've given you. Because what what, what what we saw last week, what we're going to see this week, and what we're going to continue to see throughout the rest of Israel's history is that they're going to continue to look at um, you know, and to trust not in the Lord, but in other things, right? And so a lot of times we think that the opposite of trusting God is, is disbelief. We think the opposite of trust is disbelief. But the opposite of trust in God is trusting in something else. And so often what, what happens when we see that the Israelites do is, is they trust in other gods. They, they look for, for other leaders. right? What, is, what does Korah say? We're going to get rid of Moses and Aaron, we're going to head back to Egypt, and we're going to appoint a new leader. As though swapping out Moses and Aaron is going to somehow fix the heart condition that they have going on inside of them. Right? They go, oh, we're going to look at our own abilities. They go, I think we can do this better. And their pride gets all puffed up and, like, oh, I got this figured out. And I like to think that that's, that's just a, a, an isolated incident. But I think that if we're honest, when we look at ourselves, we understand that's actually a humanity problem, right? Like, that's a post Genesis 3 problem. Like I don't have to look much farther than the mirror. I don't even need to get to my, my news feed or my social media feed or look at the newspaper to see that I continually look for other gods. right? I might not look for it in the spiritual. I might look at, at different idols to, to try to satisfy my soul. Or I'm going to think, well, if I can just follow a, a different leader, then life will, will be better. Or if I can just improve my own abilities, then life will be better. And we see this, this need for control and this wanting for more at war within us. And so and so the, the people are, are, are duking this out within themselves. And the Lord says, hey, here's, here are the laws. Here's, here's what you need to do. And then he's going to provide it. And, the, and so they needed water. They needed a couple extra things. And, he, and he's like, but you're on the road. You're traveling. So I'm going to simplify it. You. And he even lets him makes this paste that's a kind of a, a mixture of all the things that that you'd need for purification, and then and then we come to this story of the, of the waters of, of Mirabah, and and the people again are quarreling, and they're mad at Moses, and and what what I find that's interesting about this, and when we read when we read this chapter. We think, oh, they're quarreling. Well, they were quarreling back in, in you know, two weeks ago. When we read that, right? Like, we just quarrel as people. And they say, oh, we want to go back to Egypt. And you're like, okay, I get it. Like, they just, you know, the Lord's taken them out of Egypt, and now he's trying to take Egypt out of the people because they're thinking Egypt. They're not thinking promised land. But the, thing, the interesting thing here is, is who are these people? these aren't the people that have ever lived in Egypt. Most of the people that are saying, let's go back to Egypt, have never lived in Egypt. They've never been there. They're having this memory of a place that they've never been. So how do they get this image in their mind that Egypt was magically better than this promised land? Their parents told them that. It's amazing, isn't it, David? And so these people have been believing this message has been passed down to the people but on there, you know, so constantly, the, the generation before them was saying, we should go back to Egypt, we should go back to Egypt, we should go back to Egypt. And all of a sudden, the generation that's never been to Egypt says, yeah, we should go back to Egypt. It's incredible. And so, and so the Lord is bringing them out, and he brings them to these places, and, then, and they're saying, yeah, let's go back to Egypt. And so then Moses comes out, and, and so the Lord says, okay, Moses, go out and, and talk. To the rock, And if you remember, you know, what, is, what do we learn out in the desert? We learn to hear the shepherd's voice. We learn to hear the voice of the Father. And so it's of no surprise that the Lord says, Moses, go go, speak to the rock. Go speak to the rock. It's kind of a nice metaphor for you know, these kind of hard-headed, rock-headed people. Go speak to the rock and, and living water is going to come out. And what does Moses do? It's often what we do, right? We, we add to what the Lord says to do. We kind of overcomplicate things. He's just told to go up, hey rock, water. But What does he do? He comes out to the people and goes, you rebels! And he takes a stick and he beats the rock twice. It's all about Moses now, right? Check out what I can do, you rebels. Ah! The shepherd doesn't use the crook to beat the sheep. The shepherd uses the crook to defend against the wolves. And we'll see throughout the rest of the Old Testament that you don't speak curses against the Lord's anointed. that You're supposed to speak words of encouragement and invitation. And there's definitely time for confrontation. There's definitely time when we when we tell people about their sin. But the Lord did not tell Moses to t- call the people rebels, did he? because they're learning. This is a new generation, right? And the kids learning to walk and they stumble, you don't yell at them, do you? You help them back up. You instruct them. And so this is what we're seeing here. And so so the Lord is is saying, "No, no, no. I've sh- you're living in the world as it is, but I've shown you the world as it should be, right? That was what Leviticus was all about. That's what the tabernacle is all about. That's why he had him put the, remember we talked a few weeks ago about the little prayer shawl with the four little tassels on it. And he said that the Levites would always be in blue so they would look to the people and go, okay, this is the person that's going to help me navigate my atonement so that I'll always understand who God is and, and who he's created me to be and how God lives and how that is a reflection of how I'm to live. This constant reminder of life back in the garden. Saying this is how life is supposed to be and we're moving toward city in Revelation, and we're living life in light of the truth that that is a reality and will someday come to fruition. And he's saying, that's what I'm calling you to be. That's the people that I want you to be. And so we live in this continual battle that says, oh, we know better, right? How many times, I mean, you know, oh, I got this figured out. Anybody else ever had that moment where you're like, yeah, I got this I got this sorted. I know what's going on. Then you learn from somebody who knows more than you do, knows a better way, and you're like, oh, oh yeah, okay. I should have done that. Um, I remember when I, when I first uh, became a Christian, and I would say continually uh, up until today and hopefully for as long as I'm alive, I remember just learning these things where I would think, well, this is, this is what a Christian ought to do. Right? Isn't this what a Christian is is supposed to do? You know, like, I, like I'm just supposed to go and and like show up and, and be here, right? Like I'm, that's that's what I'm supposed to do. And then it was like, oh, you're actually supposed to like learn to listen to the Lord. You're supposed to like see, Lord, I can actually grow in my faith. Oh, this, oh, this is incredible. And then and then there's just kind of this continual chipping away and and, and you know, kind of seeing God in, in a certain way. And I had this certain image of, of who I thought God was, and then the more Scripture that I read, and the more I prayed, and the more I was around other believers, and the more that I grew, the more the Lord just continued to strip away what I thought I knew to be true, and rela- and 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 instead put in this image of, of who He was. Continue saying, "Yeah, this is who I am. This is who I've created you to be." And there was continual moments where I was like, "Oh, I, I think I'm I think I'm good," and He's like, "Actually, you're turning into a stagnant pond. Knock it off. Keep changing." Keep coming back to the well. Keep looking for the streams of living water. And so we'll always play in this, this cultural worldview versus our Christ-centered worldview. And even within the church, it's, it's interesting if you, if you study and, and we've been kind of looking at, if you look at various cultural patterns, there's a while where the, the church will exist in one fashion. And, and we'll do certain things that are helpful. Because it helps us to relate to the culture, and as culture shifts, then the way that the church relates to the culture has to also shift, right? Because if you use 50-year-old ways to relate to people, sometimes those don't work. Sometimes they do. There are certain timeless things where you know that, that do work, right? But there's there's certain shifts that happen. But we always have to look and say, okay, here's what I'm seeing, here's what I'm thinking. Does it line up with who I see in the scriptures? And we think that the people would understand, right? So he strikes the rock. Moses well, strikes the rock, and the Lord says, hey, dude, like it's not about you. It's about me. And because he thought it was about you, you're going to get to see the promised land where you're not going to go in. Then we read a couple stories about they come up to Edom. They say, we're going to come through. Who are the Edomites? These are the descendants of Esau. So these are actually Israel's brothers and sisters. So they come up to Edom, and they're like, hey, can we come through? Edomites are like, no, we don't want you to do that. Israel's like, but... We, like, we just got to go over. We're not going to take. We're just going to go right down the freeway. Not even get off. We won't even get off for gas. We'll fill up before we go. will make it to the other side. Edom's like, nope, you do that. We're going to come out and fight. Israel's like, hey, we don't fight our family. We'll go around. It's cool. They go around. Um, we meet uh, and then we read about the death of Aaron. So Aaron, the high priest, dies. He's replaced by Eliezer, his son. What, what does this mean? That This means that all those who had been who had to go to the, the cities of refuge? If you remember that from Leviticus, that were all the, all the folks that had been imprisoned and, and whatever because they'd, they'd accidentally killed somebody, they're now set free. Okay, so we're seeing uh, forgiveness is happening. The, uh, some people come out, they try to fight Israel, and the Lord says, Nope, we're not going to do that, and uh, takes care of them. Then we get to this story about the bronze serpent. And you'd think that the people would get it, right? Like you'd think that they would see. You'd think they would get it. But again, they say, Why have you brought us out in Egypt to die of this wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Which just reveals how weird we are. There's no food. We don't like this food. Ah, it's not that there wasn't any food. It's just that you didn't like the food. Okay, you didn't like the food that the Lord rained down from heaven that you didn't have to do anything for. You just had to woke up and go get. Hmm, okay, sure. And so the Lord sends fiery serpents among the people, and it's we, And, and we, when, If you look at the rest of Scripture, you might think, "Well, this is weird. why does the Lord, you know, the the Lord who 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 doesn't give us an, a, a concrete image of Himself in the cloud, but rather places His image throughout all of creation and puts his, the image of God in, in us. Why does He do this staff? Also, He's having the people look at the staff." And you think, aren't they going to make that into an idol? Yeah, they do, and King Hezekiah breaks it you know, later on. Um, but why in that moment, why does he do this? Because what happens? He invites them to do what? To look. To see with their eyes. The prophets would talk about the people being a stiff-necked people. If you're a stiff-necked person, what do you not do? You don't consider other ways. You don't look to the right, or to the left. You just stay rigid. And you wonder why you can't get any further down the line. Because you're stiff and you're rigid. can not go anywhere. And the Lord says, hey, I need you to soften your heart. I need you to turn your gaze. I need you to stop being so fixated on what you think you know and allow yourself to be grown into who I've created you to be. So what is it that we need to know? It comes in the form of a question. He's addressing our need for control and our want for more. Our propensity, our tendency to listen to what is temporal as opposed to what's eternal. Right. So the, the people have had their, they got their faith in what they know, their own abilities. Or they want to go back and they want to trust the gods of Egypt they think that if they swap out Moses and Aaron as leader and go back and put Pharaoh in charge, that somehow life will be better. These are these core things that we continue to wrestle with even to this day. And addresses our need for control and for more. And so that what we need to know, what I hope that we can get across from the passage today is this question of, are you stuck in what's known or are you seeking to be grown? Are you stuck in what you think you know, this idea of, of what you think life is supposed to be like, or are you willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to step out into the unknown. I'm, not, I'm willing to step out and be grown into who you've made me to be, that we would become the people that you've created us to be. Why is it important to ask these questions? Why is it important to always take what we think we know, our our cultural understanding, our cultural worldview, and place it up against a Christ centered worldview? Because it helps us to look at and be discerning people, to be open handed about what we know. It helps us to look and to listen, right? I mean, if if you're flexible, if you're continually looking to the Lord, right? All of a sudden you can be far more open handed about what you think you understand. We become rooted and that which is eternal and we avoid plateau or stagnation right what what, what's happening in a pond anybody ever spent time in in wastewater treatment I have it's real neat Um, there's an abundance of nutrients there's an abundance of nutrients and so we there's actually too much there's too much nutrient and there's not enough oxygen so this is what I love about the psalmist. What I love about numbers is is the Lord brings the people out into the open space where there's there's a lot of oxygen. There's maybe not as much nutrient as you think you'd like, but there's a lot of oxygen, and so they learn about the very basics. They learn to live and to breathe and to know the Lord. Because so often it seems like what what ends up happening, what stumbles are, what ends up being the wall in our walk to the Lord is is an abundance of things in which we think that we can trust. And so it, the Lord sometimes has this tendency to strip away all that we know that we would grow. And this is important because it helps us to become better at presenting the gospel because we continually recognize our need to go, oh yeah, I was bitten by the snake. I gotta turn and look to the Lord. Especially for the, the Christians, if, you, if you're listening to this, is repentance a one-time thing? Is receiving the gospel a one-time thing? No, you receive the gospel and you continually receive the gospel. You repent once and you turn to the Lord and you we continue to do this. Our life is a life of repentance. Our life is a life of continuing to receive the good news of Christ and dole out the good news of Christ. We don't get it once and then just, okay, now, but often what ends up happening, right? As we go, oh yeah, I'm good. And then we just like keep piling on the spiritual formation books and the podcasts and the sermons. And then what do we have there? We have no room for the Lord to breathe life into us. And so we become that stagnant pond. That nutrient-rich environment that isn't growing, but is dying, suffocating itself. It's one of the fears that I have. It's something that I'm concerned about for my own life, and I just don't want to see that here either. I always want us to, to have a hunger for the Lord and continue to go to the places, not sticking and relying on what we've known, but pressing into the Lord that we would be grown into the people that he's made us to be. So what happens if we don't, right? So case study, we talked about that guy named Paul. Paul is a super smart guy and And he knew by the time he was uh, well, by the time he was my age, he would have memorized all the Old Testament, just on lock, right? Like whole Torah, by the time he was like, you know, when I was learning about milk and calcium, he had the Torah memorized. You'd think that guy would like he'd had it unlocked, right? Like he's got and and so I mean his his mind, like he knew all kinds of stuff, but he didn't know the Lord. and so in in acts nine, Verse 3, we read that he's, he's, he's going on, he's persecuting the church and, and because he thinks he, he's got us all known. right? He's, he knows what he's supposed to be doing. And he's going to go out and he's going to... But he's not doing the Lord's will the Lord's way, is he? He's bringing death and destruction. And so as he went on the way, he approached Damascus, Damascus and suddenly a light of heaven flashed around him. And falling on the ground, he heard, he's listening, a voice saying to him, Saw. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, this is the great question. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? This is a question that we need to continue to come back and wrestle with. And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but... So here's the invitation. Right? He's made the observation. I've observed that you are persecuting me. Now he's going to give him the invitation. He says, but... Rise, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So There's some people that are traveling with him. It says, the men who are traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. He would spend the next few years being discipled, and then he spent the next few decades traveling around various Roman provinces and writing a quarter of the New Testament. The significance in his life, the profound impact that he had in his life, didn't come from what he knew, it came from who he became when he set aside what he had known and accepted the invitation to be grown. So if we don't accept this, we become impatient. We continue to be burdened. We live life with a sense of rigidity. We're always comparing things to how they used to be. I mean, And, and I think for some of us, this is, this is not a 2020 problem. right? It just manifests itself a little more apparently now where we go, oh, remember how things used to be? Well, let's, If we could just get back to that. The, the problem with that is that the Lord doesn't say, come back to the garden, does he? No, he says, let's move forward to the city. Be fruitful and multiply. right? And, and he says, I'm going to give you dominion. I want you to take wilderness and I want you to bring about order from chaos. We're going to move from the garden to the city. We're on a forward trajectory. It's one of the few times we see this kind of linear thought. And so we'll continue to be a broken record, give the same advice, become that stagnant pond, And we'll battle back and forth of what do we do or who are we to be, forgetting that we have an invitation to come and know the Lord. And so what should we do as a result? What do we see the the Lord is inviting the people to do in numbers? He says, Hey, look, recognize the fact that you've been bitten. Right? Like if a snake bites you and you're like, no, a snake didn't bite me, what's gonna happen? You're gonna die. But when you recognize I've been bitten, this is not good. And you and they look at the the bronze serpent they live. So let's be a people that recognize we can't do it on our own. That on our own we're dead. Let's be a people that see that we've been bitten by sin and then look and listen to Jesus and recognize that he is in control and that he is enough. So often we think that the success of the kingdom is is on my abilities, my strength, but it's on what God has done and on His strength. We still have responsibility. I love. I think it was Augustine that said, "Act as though everything relied on you. Pray as though everything relied on the Lord." And so we see this, this tension. So we still have we we have to act out of obedience, but we remember we act out of acceptance. And so let's let's see. Let's look and listen to Jesus. And then let's allow the Holy Spirit to transform our mind through his word. We read this, I mentioned earlier, that Romans invites us to to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Right? And so we've got to continually look at what we think that we know, what we think that that we've learned, and say, did I learn this from from culture or did I learn this from Christ? Did I I learn this from my family and my friends? To learn this from Christ? Am I getting this from the kingdom of empire or am I getting this from the kingdom of God? A few things to consider as we do this. Where are you on your spiritual journey? Always a helpful thing to consider. Always a helpful question to ask others. Where are you on your spiritual journey? And just as, as we read in Acts, who is Jesus to you and how does that shape your daily life? Jesus was not the center of Paul's life. This knowledge was. He had knowledge about Christ. He didn't have knowledge of Christ. He didn't know the Lord. But when he did, that began to dramatically shape his life. When facing difficult decisions or going through difficult times as the people in Numbers were, who or what is your guide? Right? They're looking to, we're going to trust our own abilities. We're going to you know, swap out our leaders. We're going to get this different system. And the Lord says, no, 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 trust. Trust. It's always a fun one. How do you respond when you're not in control? How do you respond when you're not in control? In our groups, let's take some time to describe a time when you you left what you knew and were grown through that, that situation or that event. And then in what are you trusting? Do you serve the kingdom of God or does that serve the kingdom of empire? Do you trust in something that is going to be eternal or are you trusting in the wisdom of the temporal? And as we see this new generation that's being formed and shaped to enter into the kingdom of God, into the the land flowing of milk and honey, this begs the question of, of all of us, young and old who are you teaching and what are you teaching them so if you got younger siblings what are you teaching them if you have kids in your home if you have kids in your life doesn't matter how old they are if you have other people in your life who are you teaching and what are you teaching them one of my favorite stories i get told i've shared this uh in months past uh my friend's pastor had been a believer for six days, and, and uh, his pastor came up to him and said, hey, I need you to disciple this guy that just came to know the Lord yesterday. He's like, oh, I've been a disciple for six days. Like, what, what is this going to do? He's like, well, then you only have six days of stuff to teach him, so just start there and keep going, right? And I think I've shared the story about the, the professor of mine that always said that, you know, he liked to teach because um, he learned more that way. He says that they learn more. He's like, I learn more, and they pay me, that's kind of nice. So who are you teaching and what are you teaching them both implicitly and explicitly by what you're doing and also what you're not doing, right? Because, man, there's one thing I've learned about having a two-year-old around the house is she's learning way more through what I show her than what I, what I tell her. And so what are we doing and what is that teaching people? So as we hear God's voice, let's remember and remind and rejoice. Let's remember... This question, that are, are you stuck in what's known? Or are you seeking to be grown? And let's remind others and rejoice in the fact that Jesus is in control and Jesus is enough. As you go out today, as you go out throughout this school year, you take what is known and use that as an invitation to be grown. Look for the ways that the Lord is inviting you to surrender control. Be mindful of where you're seeking more that the Lord is enough. Pray that he would continue to guard you and guide you. That you would convey this message of hope and of truth to the world around you. Have a great week. See you back here next weekend. Go in peace.